there are these uh, genres of uh, meditation retreats and also spiritual practices in the Tibetan tradition. This uh, kind of meditation retreat that uh, we are engaging with will be called uh, Semtad. Semtad means uh, the path teachings on the mind or nature of mind. And this uh, topic such as awareness, uh, nirvana, consciousness, often uh, these uh, teachings given by the teachers can be quite actually spontaneous, uh, personal, non-dogmatic. Teachers tend to use a lot of their own expression. From that point of view, I felt that uh, this uh, retreat is a centered retreat, even though we didn't uh, make any announcement about it. Last night, uh, when I was uh, observing the whole opening ceremony, it was quite uh, inspiring. I was very inspired by to see all of you and also James, Kate, Jill offered uh, their speech and their ceremony. I remember, as you remember that, uh, James uh, read uh, a paragraph from a book that I wrote a few years ago. I felt that uh, somehow I totally forgot what I wrote. <laughs> I felt like I was actually listening to uh, somebody else's uh, words rather than my words, but uh, if my memory is correct, uh, he said something like, uh, and that the reading that we are consciousness. This is a quite interesting concept. Actually, it's not a concept. It's a, a quite amazing epiphany that uh, we can experience when we develop ourselves into the world of uh, silence, uh, contemplation. There are actually lots of uh, topics uh, and ideas like consciousness, uh, awareness that uh, people usually don't relate to in the ordinary world unless they come to ground like here and observe silence uh, and be part of a whole community, noble community, and also following these uh, noble guidelines which are designed as a, a very much a, a conducive means for the inner awakening. I almost brought this poem composed by very well-known Dzogchen master Shapkarpa, who's my 
hero, James also loves his work too. He wrote a very famous Doha song of realization known as The Flight of Garuta. I, anyway, sometimes recite this one poem written by Shapkarpa as almost a guidance on the meditation retreat. Basically, in that poem he said, uh, we should be like uh, sages of the India, sit in silence. That's why the silence, the practice of observing noble silence has been very much uh, important uh, methods, technique, means of uh, purification, awakening in many traditions because these ancient masters realized that unless we actually quiet ourselves, unless we observe silence and somehow we are not able to remove some veils in our consciousness and to experience this uh, notions, like consciousness, awareness. In the deep silence, like the way we are observing, sometimes magic happens, miracles happens. Not miracles that we often think about, like angels flying, double rainbows popping up in the sky, but uh, uh, magic or miracle happens, which is the uh, the opening eye of the Dharma, opening the uh, eye of the truth. And this is a very old uh, expression that Buddha himself talked about, the eye of the Dharma. There's an eye of Dharma, which has nothing to do with the third eye. Please remember that. <laughs> and this is a uh, has to do with the the eye of consciousness. Our eye, the consciousness has actually eye. Of course, metaphorically speaking, consciousness doesn't have a real physical eye. But in some sense, you can say that the, our consciousness has eye. Our heart has eye. Our mind has eye. And when the consciousness opens, it is eyes. It can see. Things that we don't see usually through the ordinary mind, which is often veiled by many obscurations and hindrances. And then when the eye of our heart opens, we are able to experience things that we can't experience because our heart is truthful often. When the eye of our heart opens, then we can experience unfathomable love or love that can embrace everything, the totality. And, and therefore I feel very comfortable to talk about consciousness during this meditation retreat because we have been observing silence, even though we just had one day, but I felt we have been sitting here for a long time energetically. And I really feel very comfortable to pretty much say anything that comes in my mind 
without any reservation. A friend of mine, who's a part of my community, he's a kind of scientist a little bit, and he's also kind of mystic, according to him. He said when he hangs out with his bodies, he's all friends who are scientists, he cannot actually even say the word mind, because it's too esoteric. The word mind is too spiritual, too esoteric, so he even can't talk about the word mind. Of course, the concept consciousness sound even more transcendent, more weird, <laughs> more abstract, more non-material, more maybe even esoteric than the concept of mind. And here, because the power of the sacred container and uh, our dedication and also this uh, noble silence, uh, I believe that we can open our mind and our heart and we're able to really see a whole new dimension of ourselves. We can connect to things that our ordinary, the thinking mind cannot comprehend usually. Uh, Topics like uh, all-embracing love, uh, uh, divine desire, divine aspiration, divine yearning, awakening, egolessness, uh, consciousness. But when last night James said that we are consciousness, uh, usually uh, that has a lot of meanings. Uh, personally, when I hear somebody saying we are consciousness, I have a quite a amazing response. By the way, everything that I have written in my book is actually not my words. I just uh, interpreted uh, all these uh, beautiful teachings taught by the early Buddhist masters and especially the the great Dzogchen masters. I just put them into words. That's pretty much it. Uh, And therefore, I cannot actually take uh, ownership over one word, one single concept. And all those books that uh, I have written, I'm more interpreter than actually teacher. That's how I identify. But usually when somebody says, uh, we are consciousness, uh, maybe you will have this response, but my response is that uh, and there's a kind of freedom in which that I can let go of uh, my ordinary identities. And we all have uh, ordinary identities. We play different uh, roles. We have our persona. We identify ourselves as uh, this and that, a man, a woman, spiritual ordinary teacher and spouse, etc. And then when you kind of feel that uh, you are consciousness and suddenly all this uh, ordinary or more ego identities uh, fall apart on their own. And then you begin to actually feel that and you are this uh, indescribable reality. In a way that uh, you can feel then you are the spirit who is simply being incarnated in uh, a human form. 
Or you may be able to actually connect to this uh, beautiful myth and the stories told by the ancient ones. Uh, and there is actually a belief in some tradition that uh, the angels had to play music and to actually invite and trick the souls to enter through our ears and to be incarnated in this form. So you may be able to feel sometimes uh, and that you are actually a soul who entered into this form because a whole host of angels played music and you are deceived <laughs> and you are tricked to be in this body, in this incarnation, this uh, human form. Or you may be able to feel that you are this uh, indescribable. Uh, so anyway, one important uh, practice of all the spiritual traditions, either Buddhism or, or Sufism or Advaita Vedanta or Kashmiri Shalism or uh, the uh, Christian mysticism, they all actually use a, in many ways, similar methodology uh, in a way that we can let go of our ordinary identities. Like in the Tibetan tradition, we have uh, these uh, satnas in which that we visualize ourselves as a, a deity, a divine being. We visualize ourselves as a Tara. There are lots of uh, Tara images uh, around here. I even saw image of a white Tara Tanka Vaitara at the interview room. And uh, there are also many other Taras and different uh, deities. And there was, uh, in the Tibetan tradition, the practitioners, meditators, visualize themselves as uh, these uh, deities, uh, like Devas, Dakas, Dakinis, Herukas. And then sometimes we even have actually sacred dance in which we dress ourselves as uh, these uh, divine beings, even though they're not outside, they're just a symbol or expression of uh, our true nature. And then we dance, we chant, and we visualize ourselves as the deity, and we sing the names of those uh, deities, and we have dressed up ourselves as deities, so we have at least uh, a moment in which that we feel that we totally let go of all our earthly, our egoic identities, in which that we become the indescribable, we become the consciousness, we become the awareness, we become the soul, or we become the spirit. And that's why it was very nice to hear when James uh, opened this uh, meditation retreat by saying that we are the consciousness, I thought, oh, this is already a powerful retreat. <laughs> Maybe a little bit too powerful for me. <laughs> Can we talk something much simpler than that? When he said that, oh, James had really some plan, and I felt that he has been planning this for a long time. <laughs> Uh, you know, James does everything with a great caring. Not like me. I tend to tend to think sometimes a little bit of clumsy. 
strategy. And I really appreciate that James had a vision about this uh, meditation retreat. As a person, I feel that he he is somebody who has lots of uh, heart. Mm. I'm actually talking about James not because he's my friend, but I feel that I must talk about him because I feel that uh, in many ways, this whole meditation retreat is uh, his creation. And I feel I'm just uh, participating in his uh, wonderful creation that he has been planning for a long time. And also, it's very fun to teach with somebody who, who loves you. <laughs> right? <laughs> I feel lots of love from James. Uh, but one thing I want to you to get from James is this uh, burning desire. He has this uh, burning desire. And you can kind of tell sometimes comes through his uh, presence, through his teachings. He has this uh, burning desire, desire to wake up. And that's why I felt uh, yesterday he fully just uh, poured in front of us is a burning desire and he really wanted all of us to wake up, whatever that means. And uh, it's very important uh, for us to have that kind of burning desire. And hopefully we can learn how to have it because it's not an intellectual thing. It's not something you can learn or you can memorize. It's not something that you can uh, use your mental prowess or your intelligence to learn it. You can learn it, this kind of burning desire. You have to feel it. Sometimes it takes a long time to learn how to have it. But uh, I must say that uh, the secret of spiritual awakening, if this is something we want, is actually there's a burning desire. It it is almost said in my tradition that no one can wake up without having that burning desire, which we call it devotion. <clears throat> Just a few weeks ago, I was leading a meditation retreat in Asia, as you have heard. First, I led uh, a two-day meditation retreat uh, at this very beautiful Buddhist uh, retreat uh, center, uh, city retreat center uh, with uh, elevators, being or not, uh, belongs to the Chuge order, the largest Korean Buddhist society. And then I taught, and I was having a little bit of jet lag, and uh, felt that I couldn't really completely be there 100%. But also I noticed that some people were playing their smartphone and people were listening to my teaching while they were also looking at their smartphone. And I was okay too. It didn't really insult me anyway. And then the best part was the food. We had all this fermented food, kimchi, all kind of kimchi. You know, they said there are 400 kimchis in South Korea. That was shocking. I know that if, I think France had 400 
cheese in 1940s, and now they have around 700 cheese. They just keep adding more and more all this exotic cheese. So, and I thought, oh, that was all right. I was having a jet lag, and people were looking at the smartphones, so it's okay. The best part was the food. <laughs> And then they said, now we are going to take you to this most beautiful part of the Korea, close to the border, a border with North Korea. This is the most beautiful place in entire South Korea. And there is a, a retreat center. That's where we are going to have a retreat. And then we drove for a few hours and we got very close to the border. It turned out to be... Um, I don't know, but not too far away from the border, which is considered the most uh, volatile place on the earth and where dangerous wars can actually start. It's very kind of intensive. In a, in a weird way, uh, when I went to Bodaga, I felt very much intense. I felt I'm there. I felt that all my blood is uh, circulating. In the same when I went to that place, I had a similar experience in a strange way. Didn't feel like love or devotion, but felt I'm actually arriving at not particularly holy sites, but powerful sites where things can happen if you are not uh, conscientious. Uh, anyway, then the retreat center was uh, named after a Korean monk. Uh, uh, whose name was Munhe, and who wrote lots of poems. Uh, he lived uh, perhaps in the 20th century, but he was a bookshu, he was a fully ordained monk, but he wrote all these love poems. And some people started doubting whether he's really a real monk or not, because he wrote to all these love poems, but it turned out that the, he was writing all these love poems to express his uh, love to his country, as well as his uh, love to the awakening, to the enlightenment. He was uh, just—he had so much love, so much burning desire to wake up that he had to write down. In the uh, Tibetan tradition, one poet reminded me of him is uh, the. Sixth Dalai Lama, who wrote also lots of uh, love poems, and uh, he expressed his uh, longing to wake up through those poems. So anyway, uh, James, I feel, has this kind of burning desire to wake up. Maybe that's why he opened this retreat by inviting all of us to really experience this uh, liberating truth that we are consciousness. So either we say we are consciousness, or we are spirit, or we are the unborn Buddha, or we are pure awareness, or we call ourselves as the primordial Buddha. The whole point is, and there's a way that we can lose sometimes our ego identities. And when we lose our ego identities, we feel that we have been actually locked up in this invisible chains for a long time, and not knowing that we have been uh, tormented, we went through lots of pain, simply because we are locked up in those chains, those invisible chains, our ego identities. Uh, 
And then when you have the moment of a realization that you are conscious of your spirit, and then you realize that uh, you are none of these identities. From that point of view, we are conscious, but also we are consciousness because uh, we are here and we are alive, we are breathing, we are sensing, we are feeling. The word consciousness in Tibetan is a namji. A nam means, uh, and this is a little bit of tricky translation, it can get into unnecessary philosophical conundrum. Uh, namji means mental image. She means to know. Please forget the first uh, part of this uh, terminology. It's a little bit uh, too philosophical, but she means to be aware, to know, but also means to feel, to recognize, to sense. And this is really who we are. If you look right now at yourself, you are conscious, you are feeling, you are sensing, you are thinking. Regardless of what state of mind you are going through, either you are feeling peacefulness, stillness, open heart, loving kindness, or maybe you are feeling uh, confused, lost, and bored. Or maybe you are somebody seeing the colors of flower in front of you. Or maybe you are just uh, enjoying this uh, space. Or maybe you are hearing somebody talking without so much effort. You just uh, hear what is happening. And this is uh, showing that indeed you are alive, you are a consciousness. And uh, the, the experience of a consciousness is actually totally myriad. And various, uh, we can really go up and we can go really go down, just like a riding roller coaster. Sometimes uh, uh, to explore your mind, your consciousness is like a riding roller coaster. It can go really up all the way and then can go down, or you can stay in the middle for a very long time. That's what most people do. Uh, perhaps I told you this uh, funny story that one time I was in Asia. Uh, during the Q&A, somebody wrote down and said that uh, he or she is uh, having this uh, very profound uh, epiphany in which that uh, he or she feels that she's one with everybody and she's having a hard time to engage with the, the world of duality, the, uh, the practical world, because he or she feels that she's one with everybody all the time. And then this person is kind of looking for my affirmation, whether that is enlightenment or not. And then I told that person, don't worry, this is a problem, but it's a nice problem. Most people don't have this problem. <laughs> but this problem is very easy to be solved. All you need is to go to US NBC, get visa, and go to United States and drive a car like 15 miles per hour, like an old granny. And, and soon people are going to yell at you and they're going to do lots of weird things. And then you lose that experience right there. <laughs> so don't worry. <laughs> so you see now the experience of consciousness is a very sometimes beautiful but a very deceptive. You can't really take your experiences 
too personally or too concrete, and that's why I think all Buddhist uh, traditions say don't don't get touched to experience. Let me talk a little bit about the uh, Abhidharma, which is a uh, very much one of the main uh, treaties that we all study, either uh, Theravadan Buddhist or Tibetan Buddhist or Mahayana Buddhist. And the Abhidharma, you have a, this is a really kind of fantastic map of the universe. By the way, as a tradition, Buddhism has been using lots of images, uh, uh, also illustrations, uh, even like maps, even cosmology to explain uh, the, the workings of human consciousness, yours and mine consciousness. Uh, and we are not going to talk about mandala, that's all another topic. Mandala is more like Dantic Buddhist presentation of the human consciousness. But in the Abhidharma, uh, there is a mountain, Meru, the queen of the mountains, which really symbolizes our consciousness. And then uh, uh, on the mountain, Meru, around it, the whole loka, the whole universe, comes into being, but these existences, lokas, realms, actually represent different uh, mental states. And uh, basically they divided the whole universe into three realms uh, called the realm of desire, the realm of form, and the realm of formlessness. But uh, these are, of course, in some sense, uh, uh, physical dimensions, but on the other hand, they are like maps, like they are geography of the human consciousness. And so we say often in our tradition that uh, uh, don't, don't get touched to your experiences. If you get touched to your experience, then you can fall into one of those three realms, which we don't want to be, because three realms, the realm of uh, desire, realm of form, realm of formlessness, uh, are the samsara, which is of course a state of your own mind. Uh, for example, they say, uh, if you get attached during the meditation to the bliss, then you fall into the realm of uh, desire, which is uh, samsara, the unwakened state of mind. And then, whereas if you get very attached to the clarity, and then you can fall into the, the realm of uh, the world of a form. But then if you get attached to no thoughts, like no thoughts, no mind, and then you can get trapped and you can fall into another samsara, which is an unwakened stereo mind. Especially, it is represented by the, the highest realm within the samsara, the realm of a Formlessness. Uh, I hope this is not getting too complicated, but anyway, the whole point is uh, not to get attached to any, any experience, the ordinary to the extraordinary while we are in this meditation retreat. So let me go back to the, the topic, the consciousness. Uh, uh, well, I think we are pretty much sure that we are consciousness, right? Unless somebody has strong objection. <laughs> Let's say we are consciousness. 
And uh, well, there are lots of uh, debate why why we even manifest as a consciousness. Isn't it quite interesting? Have you ever thought about that? Why even you are here? Why you even exist in the first place as a consciousness? Where well, some artists say, I heard uh, from, I think, a radio. Sometimes they have lots of uh, wisdoms, the radios. <laughs> some say maybe we manifested uh, as a consciousness because uh, the universe creates itself in this uh, like a mind-blowing uh, design, architecture, cosmic architecture. universe is truly amazing. And there's so many countless wonders and magics that we can observe. And, and that's why somebody has to sit there and be observer and, and be totally dumbfounded by the, this extraordinary creation, the universe's self-creation. Otherwise, it would be futile creation if nobody says, oh, this is a really amazing creation. <laughs> so some people believe that universe manifested as human beings, especially through our consciousness. So she can pretend there's a universe and pretend as observer, and then we can pretend to be very dumbfounded. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is quite amazing. See, the beautiful rainbow, the northern light. Uh, I was visiting uh, it's, it's Sierra Mountains just a few days ago. I went to Lake Tahoe and hiked and saw this beautiful lake. I really felt this, this is just amazing creation. This universe, this totality is so amazing to the extent I felt totally humbled. I felt a little bit even death of my ego here and there. And something you don't feel in some parts of the world. I won't mention these particular places. <laughs> and, but uh, I think California has all these uh, places that can totally blow your mind. We are really blessed uh, to be in this part of the world. But also, I think it's true that uh, we are consciousness. We have this awareness so we can witness uh, the ugly part of the world. The universe is not always beautiful. It can be beautiful, but there's also ugliness, there's violence, there's a suffering, and there's a delusion. And I think we are here to open our heart and to experience all of them. Let me share a, quite a personal story about uh, my own journey as a, a meditator as a human being. <clears throat> Some of you have heard that I had a little bit of medical adventure. Now I'm very much recovered from it. And at one point I was having difficulty to walk. I had problem developed in left side of my body. And then around the same time, I was traveling quite a lot, even though I had this uh, uh, physical pain. One of the places that I went to was the city of Santa Barbara. I was having a lot of pain already at that time. And then I went to beach. 
And it was very interesting for me to go there and to walk on the beach. You know that uh, the beaches in Santa Barbara are truly lovely. And also the city is very beautiful there too. I gave a, a day-long meditation retreat, also even in public talk, and then I walked uh, on the beach because many years ago I also gave a talk somewhere in Santa Barbara. I had a chance to walk on the beach and I never forgot how beautiful the beaches there were. And I asked people to take me to the beach. <laughs> and then I was walking on the beach, I was totally totally basically yeah, enchanted by the, the beach. I loved the smell of Pacific Ocean for some reason. I, I loved the smell of the the ocean along the west coast for some reason. And uh, some people don't like it, but I love it very much. Uh, and also high cliffs. I found personally the beaches in the west coast uh, in California most beautiful. Uh, in the world, after visiting many beaches, the high cliffs, the smell, uh, and then we have lots of birds, uh, seagulls, and cranes. And I was uh, very much enchanted by the wonder of the ocean, the nature, but at the same time I was having also pain too. In the moment that I was uh, witnessing both pain, joy, little bit of suffering and also happiness. And uh, it was kind of personally very meaningful experience because I had to, without choice, open my heart and to really experience uh, all flavors of this life, this existence. And that's why we are consciousness, uh, and we can open heart, and we can feel love and compassion. We can wake up, we can also descend, we can get really lost, uh, and be a little bit, uh, sometimes, uh, uh, if I can say crazy, can I say that? <laughs> so the consciousness can go in many directions. So, <clears throat> the, but, the way we can wake up as a consciousness is through awareness, which was the topic I've been preparing. Uh, famous Dzogchen master, Rinzen Goddenjin said, uh, one ground, two paths. Because that, there are two fruitions. The commentary on that uh, verse is that, that one ground can be anything. One ground can be so-called the emptiness or the consciousness or the primordial mind or anything you want to say because it's not conceptual. The one ground, the source of all. Then the two paths is actually the awareness and unawareness. Out of those two paths, and now there are two fruitions, which are liberation and imprisonment, or the samsara, or nirvana, or the suffering and the happiness. And that's why awareness is so important. Awareness is uh, maybe the only means 
that can liberate us, that can wake us up, that we can continue to heal ourselves. So what is awareness? It's a very big topic. It's not one thing. Awareness has many aspects. Awareness is sometimes mindfulness, sometimes self-knowledge, sometimes contemplation, sometimes uh, uh, even uh, uh, experiences that maybe we don't uh, go through unless you are doing specific practices. So awareness means a lot. It all depends on the, the context. But here tonight I'm going to describe awareness as a basically samarthi or satyan pali, samarthi in Sanskrit, the mindfulness or remembrance. The mindfulness is actually very much the essential practice for all Buddhist traditions. I know that some people think that uh, not too many Theravadan Buddhists think, but some Tibetan Buddhists think that mindfulness is a Theravadan Buddhist thing. <laughs> uh, but that's not true. They don't know what they're missing. Uh, this Tibetan Buddhist, uh, the mindfulness is actually the heart of all the Buddhist uh, traditions. Uh, in the Dzogchen, we talk about six levels of uh, mindfulness. Tamba, Tuk Tamba means Tibetan word for Sati or Samriti or mindfulness. So let's talk about uh, mindfulness. Itself is a very big uh, topic in many ways, but it also can be simple. To me, the awareness begins by turning our attention inward. This is how we start awareness, how we start mindfulness, and then from there it, it can grow, it can expand. It can evolve, but I feel that this is how we began the the path of awareness or the mindfulness simply by turning our attention what uh, Lama Mipam, another Nyingmaba master, said, uh, "One one inward dharma is better than one hundred outward dharmas." This is a very interesting statement, which is my favorite. Let me say that. One inward dharma is better than 100 outward dharmas. And he's a, a well-respected uh, Dzogchen master in my lineage, the Nyamaba tradition. So what he meant is, uh, like any kind of dharma or spiritual activities that we do, that is lacking in introspection is the outward dharma. If you do these outward dharmas, yes, they have a merit, they have a benefit. We cannot deny the benefit or merit of these outward dharma activities. But when he said inward dharma means dharma, the spiritual practice that has the quality of introspection. Which, which is to really look inside, looking into our mind. And this sounds very simple, but uh, it turned out to be actually the most difficult thing to do. Shockingly, this is not something that most people want to do, even though it sounds so simple. And people want to do other things, but not this one. Um, people can do a lot of things. People are very courageous. Uh, people can do all kinds of things, uh, as you know, but one thing that people are not good at is just sit uh, 
and look into that mind. That has turned out to be the most difficult task to perform, harder than climbing mountain Everest, believe it or not, <laughs> or jumping off a cliff. But this is really what people don't want to do. And there are many reasons why people don't want to do. First, we can say there's a resistance to the awakening. Obviously, right? There's a resistance to the awakening. If there's no resistance to the awakening, we'll be all running towards the awakening. That's all we want to do. And then maybe we need the retreat for unawakening. <laughs> because everybody wants to wake up because there's no resistance. Then maybe we should have some kind of really big meditation retreat on the unawareness because all world wants to wake up. So we need some few unawakened people to keep this world a little bit interesting. And then my job will be different. I won't be Dharma teacher, I will be ego teacher or something <laughs> like that. Travel all over, teach people how to have ego, how to be greed, how to be selfish. <laughs> and we make sure that there's really good food, otherwise people don't, don't come to the field. Close eye, feel your ego, <laughs> feel the anger, <laughs> let's judge somebody. <laughs> So obviously there's a resistance to the awakening. I have no idea why this is part of our system, but we do have a very much a evolutionary level, deep-seated resistance to the awakening. We don't want to wake up, we don't want to be free. And so that's of course one reason that people don't want to look inside. Recently, uh, a psychologist said that uh, that I always quote uh, this one. It's very interesting as well as a truthful statement that we human beings are afraid of three things. Guess these three things. Of course, death. Death is one of them because most people are afraid of death. That's why we don't even talk about death. And then another thing is actually uh, People, we are afraid of people. We are afraid of other people. And we even don't know that. That's why there's so much mistrust. Uh, and that's why we objectify people. And we don't know how to trust people. We don't know how to love each other. We, we are always uh, in the mode of uh, uh, offending and defending. We are constantly unconsciously object and find people. And we, we really don't know how to love and condition each other. And then last one turned out to be mind. We are very afraid of our own mind. Because you know, once we look into our mind, we don't know what to do with all these things. We don't know with our anxiety. We don't know what to do with our fear, we don't know what to do with our judgment, we don't know what to do with our guilt and shame, we don't know what to do with this wild monkey. This uh, uh, sometimes quite wild, unruly, uh, dangerous uh, creature. Uh, I gave one time talk uh, at a, a, a school in Missoula, Montana, invited everybody to just observe a silence for five minutes before my talk. And that wasn't very long. And then after my talk, uh, we had a long greeting line to 
uh, where people can come and exchange words with me. And then there was this uh, oh, person. Uh, she looks really peaceful, but she said, do you know that five minutes of silence was the worst time in my life? <laughs> <laughs> and I never forget that uh, statement. I think uh, she's speaking the truth. It's very hard sometimes to just observe silence and Especially if you're a beginner, if you never meditated, uh, it's really don't know what to do with this uh, fear, pain, and the boredom. And then, uh, if you continue to look inside, then you're going to feel that. You're not just looking at your anxiety, your random thought. You feel you're on this kind of journey that you have never signed in the first place, but somehow you end up embark on this really powerful journey and where you begin to explore all these uncharted territories and where you're going to meet with many monsters too, these uh, formless monsters and uh, and dangerous creatures, the monsters of uh, maybe greed and hatred, etc. You begin to learn so much about yourself. It can be very humiliating sometimes, or humbling. And then also you're going to discover and that you have so much potential. You can love, you can forgive, you can let go. And you begin to that you can be actually happy, you can be happy unconditionally. I think this is a, perhaps the best, best logic we can see, best evidence we can see in this life is that I can be happy. I can be truly happy if I want. I can be truly happy simply by going inward and learning how to cultivate uh, awareness and, and, and to purify my vasanas, my old mental, psychological, mental tendencies so I can be truly happy. And and then I can realize I have so much potentials. And then not only that, I can look around and see we all have so much potentials. At one of the meditation retreats in Asia recently, we had a nice ending party where we played music and we invite people to the performance. First, many people were a little bit reluctant to get up and dancing a song and of a performance, but we had around eight or nine bookshoes and they are from Zen tradition. And one monk got up and he just uh, danced without any inhibition and he was wearing this gray robe and he was just beautifully dancing and his robes are moving in the air was very beautiful, and then uh, his dance gave permission everybody to get up and, and dance. Uh, this was the end of the meditation retreat. We were observing silence uh, for many days, I think six days, and we did the same thing. Somebody collect everybody's smartphone, but towards the end of the meditation retreat, we decided to have a little party, like sacred feast, and then 
And we, everybody's happy. Everybody wants to get up to dance, so we had to stop doing that because otherwise we could go whole night. Eventually, everybody was raising their hands and they all want to offer something, either dance or party or song. So we couldn't let everybody to dance, but there was so much joy and happiness. And then one person said something like that. Isn't amazing that we human beings have so much potential. We have potential not to fight with each other, not to hate each other, and not to be selfish, and not to be lost in our inner demons. We have so much potential, potential to be happy, potential to love, potential to forgive, potential to transcend limitations that our ancestors couldn't. We have potential to come together as a humanity, as one family, and to put all this side difference, all our miseries and all our bad stories behind, and, and to open heart, and to love each other, and to work for the, the benefit of the great. And that's why we are here. Uh, much gratitude. Right, eight thirty. Yeah, yeah, eight thirty. Thank you. Thank you. So I didn't get anywhere with awareness, but <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Another time, Jim said I can talk more. Uh, let me continue. Stay tuned. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.